This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome to the Richard Blackbee Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by the ever-reading Dr. <laughs> Richard Blackaby. It's good to be with you again, Sam, as always. Yeah, it sounds like you're a little under the weather. I am. And, uh, you know, I have not been sick in, in since COVID, I don't think, and uh, I, I, I almost felt invincible. I haven't had COVID, haven't had any kind of sickness, uh, and uh, but I... I was around a bunch of people that had RSV and colds and grandkids with colds and my yeah. dad, my dad cold and coughing all over me. And, uh, so I might've even gotten this from my dad. So, you know, how do you complain about that? Yeah, exactly. You just yeah. suck it up. And, yeah, but, uh, was, unfortunately for our listeners, we, <laughs> you might get a bit of a nasal podcast today, but yeah. still some important stuff to listen to. So hopefully it's not too bad. No, for sure. We'll we'll suffer through the nasal, Richard. <laughs> for you, only for you, though. Uh, well, this is one of my favorite segments that we do on this podcast, and that is looking at uh, a book that you've been reading, or have usually have completed reading, and uh, you've just jotted down some thoughts on this. And uh, we've we've done some great uh, books in the past, and I'm sure this will be. Uh, likewise. So what have you brought for us today, Richard? Well, uh, this is an interesting book. I just finished it the other day. It came out in 2018, but I'm just getting around to it. I'm actually going to be speaking in a conference uh, uh, this this week, uh, kind of based on some of these principles. So I was reading up on this and doing my homework. And it's called Rooting for Rivals, How Collaboration and Generosity Increase the Impact of Leaders, Charities, and Churches. And it's written, uh, co-authored by Peter Greer, and uh, Chris Horst, along with uh, Jill Heisley, Heisey, and uh, uh, Peter and Chris. Peter is the CEO of Hope International, a nonprofit. Uh, these guys, they address something that I think a lot of people wonder about, and that is, why is it that Christians so often look at each other as competitors instead of as collaborators, mm. uh, colleagues? Uh, that happens with churches all the time. You know, you might have two evangelical churches, <clears throat> maybe in the same neighborhood, maybe even on the same street. And uh, and, and they look at uh, all those people to reach as, uh, you know, uh, in terms of a pie. And there's only so yeah. much pie to go around. So if they get that visitor, then we don't get that visitor. If they, that mature Christian that ties goes to their church and gives their money there, then they're not coming to our church. And so we miss out. And so, so often I find the churches really struggle. Uh, to cooperate with one another. Yeah. Um, they, if, if there's a joint meeting, their first question is, well, where's the meeting going to be held? If it's going to be held at that, if they're that church instead of ours, I don't want my people going into that church and seeing how nice it is. Uh, yeah. Or I don't want to be going there if it's just going to be supporting that church's ministry and not ours. Um, nonprofits the same way. Um, well, who's going to get the limelight? Who's going to get the promotion? If if this is just building up another ministry instead of ours, I don't want my donors going to that event. What if they give their money to support them and not us? Um, and so even though Christianity is a declining force across North America today, uh, less and less people going to church, um, less and less influence in some ways, uh, and, st- and still, and rather than working together and doing those things we can that would build the kingdom of God, 
we still just do our own thing. And of course, there's a lot of duplication. So if, uh, if you're a business person, uh, you look and say, well, here's five nonprofits in the same city that are all doing basically the same thing. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that each one doesn't have a purpose, but are there not some things they could join together and have a bigger impact a bigger influence than five separate smaller groups all doing the very same thing. Um, and so a lot of people ask those questions. Um, you know, why is it that churches don't cooperate more? Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I just did a tour uh, last month or so across South Africa, and uh, it was interesting because uh, I would do some meetings with uh, business people, marketplace uh, groups, and but I tell you what, uh, people came out of the woodwork, and everybody let all their Christian business friends know, regardless of whether they went to their church or not, whether they were the same denomination. And we'd pack out a restaurant or or an, a venue with marketplace people, all wanting to get whatever encouragement they could. But then I might do a lunch meeting or an evening meeting with pastors. And it all depended on, well, which church is hosting this? <laughs> and if it was that church down there, well, we don't agree with everything that church is doing. So, uh, or they're a competitor, uh, or we came out of a split with them years ago, so we're not going to support it if it's going to be at their building. If yeah. you have it at our building, we'll come, but not if it's at their building. And honestly, uh, the, the, the most poorly attended and supported meetings were the ones with pastors in it and the most uh widely supported ones were the ones with business people in it yeah um they're all christians supposedly we all want to reach this nation for christ and yet there's there's so much turfdom that that still takes place yeah and you know sam i i'm not someone who like i i believe in even a variety of churches i don't i don't even think that denominations are a sin i think that because people are so different and worship God in so many unique ways, I don't think it's. I think there's a, a place for different denominations. There, yeah, there can be space there to have some differences. Yeah, and, and there's you know there's lots of nonprofits that will have lots of overlap. You know, and that's yeah. that's fine. Um, but when you never cooperate, when you see other ministries as an enemy almost, a rival, instead of a fellow kingdom citizen serving the same king that you are, then something's wrong. And when three organizations are all putting the same money in for the very same thing to be done, yeah. when they could have collaborated on perhaps at least that one issue and said, well, we, we all have different ministries, but on this thing, I think we could work together. We could save money. We could have bigger impact, uh, have greater resources. Why don't we do that together? And people keep asking the church and Christian leaders, um, well, why don't you do more of that? Uh, why don't you work together and cooperate? And <clears throat> there are times when there are ministries doing the identical work and they've never even spoken to one another. They're, they're, they're unaware of even what others are doing. Mm. Um, and, and there's a number of reasons for that. You know, Matthew 5, uh, 6, 33, <clears throat> Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, our primary focus, our primary goal ought to be to build the kingdom. But a lot of times, instead, we want to build our own kingdom. Uh, in this book, Rooting for Rivals, they talk about the idea of kingdom or clan. Hmm. Um, do you want to build up your own clan uh, or do you want to build the kingdom? And of course, 
there's nothing wrong with having a strong clan, but our first priority ought to always be the kingdom. And so if you've got a kingdom that's all subdivided by a bunch of clans uh, and clans that are fighting and bickering among each other, then you're never going to build the kingdom as much as you might have otherwise. Uh, so, uh, and so there's, there's, there's lots of reasons why you do that. For one is we're just way more focused on our own personal agenda than on God's and on what God's trying to accomplish. Uh, God's goal is always bigger than ours. Uh, God always has a much longer view than we do. And sometimes we just want to get our little ministry uh, a bit stronger. We want to hire that new staff person. We want to build that new building. Um, and all, that's all of our focus. And of course, if you're leading a nonprofit, if you're leading a, a, a church, um, of course, you're going to, you, you're responsible for that. So you should focus on that. But, but ultimately your ultimate goal ought to be, but how is this going to build the kingdom? And when I meet another kingdom citizen who perhaps works for a different organization, I need to realize we're brothers, we're sisters, um, and we're colleagues, we're not competitors. If that organi- if that Christian organization, that church grows, well, then my kingdom just grew. I should celebrate that. Uh, but oftentimes we, we get jealous. <laughs> they, yeah. They're growing, and now people, they have a more impressive building than we do. Uh, they've got <clears throat> you know, more cutting-edge staff and equipment than we do, so uh, people are going to be drawn to go support them instead of us. And it's a, it can get pretty, uh, pretty petty sometimes where we just absolutely will not speak kindly or bless, uh, or support what someone else is doing unless we, we just only want to promote our own thing. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the authors have, uh, several things they say, I think that are very interesting. You know, one thing they, they point out is that, um, only maybe 15% or so, of nonprofits will even survive 10 years. Um, hmm. they, they did a sur- survey of about 85,000 uh, nonprofits, and uh, 10 years later, only about 15% of those were still turning in financial reports to IRS. Uh, hmm. There's a lot of nonprofits that don't survive. Now, that might cause you to say, well, that, then I better really focus on my nonprofit <laughs> because uh, it, there's a good chance it might not survive. But, um, but part of what they say is, so just understand, it, it's fine for you to lead your organization. You ought to try to lead it as well as you can. But, but you want to invest in something that's still going to be around a thousand years from now. Yeah. Uh, that you're, you want to invest your life in things that will, will last and that are eternal. And your organization, even your business, your church may not be. Uh, they probably have a life cycle. And uh, so if you neglect the kingdom of God because you're trying to build your own organization, well, just know that that organization may not even outlive you. Um, and so, you know, do the best you can, but understand you want to make a priority those things that will last forever. Yeah. And, and of course, that's the kingdom of God. And, uh, and you know, one thing I've learned is you, you have to decide, um, do I believe that there's, uh, uh, so to have a view of scarcity, which means that I look at everything in terms of how limited it is. Uh, there's only so much to go around, so I better grab all I can. Yeah. That fixed pie. <laughs> yeah. And, idea. uh, and so I better hurry and get to the trough as quickly as I can. And, uh, and, you know, and, and they say something interesting, too, which uh, they're, they're pretty candid. 
uh, as they share their own journey because they lead a nonprofit themselves. Uh, but they said, you know, uh, it's rare for you to find a nonprofit that says we have all that we need. You know, if a donor comes and says, <laughs> "I've got a hundred thousand dollars to donate somewhere," I was wondering if you needed it. Uh, I, I, the answer is uh, yes. <laughs> Even if you have to come up with something, uh, but you're not going to ever say, "Oh no, you know, God's really been good to us this year. We're ahead of budget." Uh, you might want to see if there's a more needy nonprofit somewhere that would really be blessed by that. Um, we always can use more. Uh, even if we've got millions and uh, millions, uh, we're putting away money for a rainy day fund, but someone has money for us, it would not cross our mind to say, hey, there's this great little ministry downtown that's ministering to the homeless, and I know that would bless them so much if you could give it to them. No, we'll, we'll probably take it as well, and uh, just even if we have to make something up just to uh, to put it to use. Mm -hmm. And, uh, because there's this sense that, yeah, okay, we're doing fine now, but what about next year? What if the economy has a downturn? Uh, you know, what if we lose our keys fundraiser and, and things aren't, uh, as flush as they are right now. And so we're always kind of living with, you know, now that this, that generation is passing from the scene, but, but my grandparents were, they went through the, the Great Depression in the 1930s. And you always knew someone who'd gone through the Depression because it didn't matter how rich they were. They always were economical. They were always yeah. thinking, well, times are okay now, but if another Great Depression comes, you know, we better, like, like my grandfather, you know, he'd, he'd always have water with his drink, uh, with his hamburger, because, you know, Cokes cost extra and, you know, you you don't want to be extravagant, and uh, yeah, and you you know you say, Grandpa, you could afford probably a a, a a soda drink if you want, but well, you know, just I just can get what you what you need, and and uh, uh, and and I, I think sometimes when it comes to doing God's work, leading our our businesses, uh, we can still have that depression mindset. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, things we don't know how things are going to happen in the future, so we better play it safe. Uh, and you know, I one thing I've just I've had to just really trust in, and that is that if God has, if God is the one who initiated your business, your organization, your nonprofit, then He had a purpose for it, and and as long as you stay true to the purpose God has for your organization, then He will provide for it. God does not initiate something and then let it just face plant. Now you could have started something, and if if you started it, then it's up to you to provide for it, but. But if you really feel, I mean, you honestly believe that God wants your church to exist or your nonprofit to, to meet the needs that it does, then you're going to have to trust that God will also provide for it. And he may not make it rich. You may not have the nicest building of all the nonprofits in your city, but he will provide what you need to get the job done. And at the same time, if he's called you to lead uh, a business or a nonprofit, um, he will guide you to know how to, to lead it successfully. Uh, you just have to trust him. But but really, when you begin worrying, when you begin to become selfish, um, what you're really just announcing is, I don't I don't believe God. I don't trust God. Uh, I don't believe that He will provide for us. So I've got to do it myself. And that becomes very ugly. Uh, becomes uh, very ugly when you see selfish, self-preserving Christians in the name of God, unwilling to be generous with others. And of course, there's a wonderful verse um, 
that says if you, I think it's in Matthew 16, where it says if you, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. Yeah. But if you give your life away for Christ's sake, I mean, don't just give it away just because you're a generous person, but you give it away because, um, because you know that Christ wants you to do that. Then, uh, then Jesus said, then you'll save your life. It, it, it's counterintuitive yeah. it, to give stuff away. You'll save yourself. But if you hoard things and for your self preservation, you actually lose yourself. But I watched that with my dad, uh, for many, many years. He, that was one of his mottos was if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. So he was always giving his life away. And, and I remember, uh, when he was pastoring our little church in Canada, um, we had all kinds of missions, uh, churches that we were sponsoring. And so for years, every time our church had any more money, invariably dad would leave the church to give it away to some mission church. And if we had a talented young person rising up in the ranks, rather than using them to build his own leadership team at our home church, he'd give that talented person away to go pastor one of the mission churches. And, uh, at one point, uh, our church was, outgrowing its facility. We really needed to renovate and uh, expand our building. And then right around that time, one of our key mission churches had the opportunity to buy a new building that would really expand their ministry. It was a great deal, but they, they were too small to, to be able to sign off on the loan. So they, they needed their, their home church, their mother church, uh, to sign off on the, the mortgage. But the problem was if we signed off on it, we would then be overextended to try to take out our own mortgage. So basically, even though we needed a new building, if we helped our mission get a new building, then we had to put off getting our own new building. Yeah. And so I remember being in that business meeting and people were saying, well, but they're our mission church. Like we should, you know, we're the, we're the mother church. So we should, we should keep building ourselves up. And if we're stronger, then we can help the mission churches as well. And of course it makes perfect sense, yeah. except that we were, we were being tempted to save ourselves instead of give ourselves away. And so my dad kind of said, well, let's just trust God with this. Uh, Right now, they are in a position right now to to purchase a great uh, facility for themselves. Let's just trust God that if we give ourselves away and help our mission, that he will will help us in return. And so we did. And uh, within less than, I think it was only about a year or so, uh, they were able to assume the whole mortgage they that that new building really helped them to grow and so on and um it, it didn't really put us back very far at all but it did make a statement to all of our mission churches listen we're we're there with you we'll we yeah. believe in you uh we'll support you and people would say well you're crazy henry like they're the mission they they should be sub- subservient to you but um instead uh my dad had just said no, it's as we give ourselves away, just like Christ emptied himself for us. Uh, Christ didn't lose anything by emptying himself and following God's will. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, he was seated at the right hand of the Father uh, and was made the Lord of all humanity, of all the universe. So I think we can trust him with that as well. And so it's a, it's a huge statement of faith. I mean, it's one thing to say, I trust that God will provide. It's another thing to give yourself away where you're in a position now where you have to have God provide. Yeah. And I think though that that's where God wants us to be. I don't think we think we honor God if we've got 10 different rainy day funds and all kinds of, of savings accounts we could draw upon in case things get a little bit tight and we think, well, that honors God. And I think it, 
you know, I, I, I'm concerned that there will be those churches at the end of the of, of time when Christ returns and those churches will have all of these rainy day funds that were never put into the game. Yeah. We're never invested in the kingdom. And now of course it'll be too late. I, I suspect that probably the churches that will glorify God the most will be the ones that were putting everything into the game and giving themselves away for the kingdom, not knowing if God might not return, Christ might not return just in the next few moments. And so they didn't want to be flushed with all kinds of money that was never invested, never leveraged for the kingdom. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a different way of thinking. If you're an accountant and now you're in a church somewhere, or you're uh, running a business and you, you want to honor, honor God, but in many ways, what you really want to do is honor your accounting training, which says you never, you, you always, you know, have a, a margin there so that you, you never get into a place where you actually need God to come in and, and intervene on your behalf. The CSB Experiencing God Bible invites you to know and experience God personally. In this revised and updated edition, based on the best-selling Experiencing God book and Bible study, you will be encouraged to focus on the major purpose of Bible reading, listening to God speak. Experiencing God features and study helps placed throughout the Bible provide an immersive reading experience that will guide and challenge you to respond to the invitations God offers to know Him, His purposes, and His ways. The Bible is on sale now at blackabystore.org, and you can find links to these in the show notes. Well, I like the uh, the title of this book, Rooting for Rivals. It's uh, like, like so many things I think it likely unpacks. It, it's going to be counterintuitive, and, and like we said before the break, that you know when you're giving yourself away, that's when you save yourself, and uh, I, I love that story um, of your dad and, and his church there in Canada just actually trusting God to, to do what he said he's going to yeah. do. And, uh, and turns out, he, you know, he, he was true, you know, yeah. and he, uh, he's true to his word. And, uh, so maybe just in the last few moments here, uh, what were some other maybe lessons learned or, or, uh, just opening things that were the part of this book? Well, you know, one thing I think it just says to me is that we ought to be known as generous people. If you're a Christ follower, Christ was a generous person, yeah. literally gave his life uh, for others. And so, you know, maybe you're running a business, um, and, uh, but you want to be, you want to be generous, uh, with your people, but beyond that, uh, with, with others. Uh, and, and sometimes I, I suppose the real test of your generosity is, can you be generous with someone that could be perceived as a competitor? Maybe they're in mm-hmm. the same field. Uh, maybe they're a startup, um, but they want to be pursuing some of the same customers that you, you deal with. Um, can you encourage them? Can you bless them? Can you share some, uh, advice of things you've learned that might be helpful to them? You know, I remember years ago I was in a city and there was a, uh, a church plant and it was it, it, a bunch of people were trying to reach the inner part of the city. And, uh, and these, these people had all raised their own support. They were all walking by faith. Um, they didn't have a lot of big sponsors and, and big budgets. So these people that were working part time and then volunteering at the church and, but they just had a real vision, a real passion for reaching this very unreached part of the community. And, uh, and then one day they heard that um, a huge mega church had decided to plant one of its satellite churches in the same area and they were going to bankroll it, uh, and do everything first class. And they, they had big advertising budgets and they could put up billboards and they could rent a really nice space 
and uh, the first thought was, here's this small group of people just raising their own support, living by faith, um, serving just out of their love for Jesus. And now here comes this big church that's going to bring in multiple staff right off the bat and uh, a big operating budget. And the first, the first uh, questions were to the young church, the small church was, well, are you going to even bother to continue? I mean, maybe just step aside and let this, this giant take over and, and do things first class. And they had said, uh, well, no, actually, we're, we feel like God called us to serve here, and so we're going to keep serving. But, but they said, we're, we're, uh, we're delighted to hear that this church is moving into the area because God has just put this whole area of the city on our hearts, and we, we really want this, this part of the city to come to Christ. And we know we can't do it all on our own. We, we need help. Um, yeah. And uh, and so we're and, and and knowing that this church is feeling led to come to this same area, it confirms everything that we heard. We we thought God was saying that He wanted to work here, but but hearing this church is coming too confirms that sure enough, God is mobilizing people, and yeah. we were right in coming here. And uh, and then they even went a step further and they said we approached this big church that had way more money than the small church did. And they said, we, we are just so glad that you're going to be coming and laboring in this same field where there's so, so much need. They said, uh, we would love to just take an offering ourselves and help perhaps, maybe we could help furnish your, your nursery and buy a bunch of equipment you'll need for your nursery and do that for you. Because that way, every time that uh, a young family comes to your church and their kids play in your nursery and they feel led to join your church because of how well you take care of their kids, then we'll feel as if we had a small part in that, that, uh, that, that your success is our success because mm-hmm. we invested in that nursery and now it's teeming with young children as their families are coming to worship God in your church. And they said, we would just love to be able to do that. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I was really humbled when I heard that. And I just, I witnessed that attitude mm-hmm. because I thought, I don't know if I would have had that attitude. I would have thought, well, why am I ministering here on this low budget uh, faith walk that, that we're on if this big behemoth is moving in with all the money and resources needed? Yeah, it'd be tempting to <clears throat> drop your resume off and say, hey, well, yeah, do the same work, but, you know, less stress. Yeah, just, just hire us and uh, support yeah. us. But but then to turn around and support your rival, if you will, your competitor, uh, that, that takes, to do that, you have to have a great faith in God. And you have to know that you, God, God's not going to cancel out his calling on your life because there's someone else in the area doing a similar thing. Yeah. And I think that goes for businesses as well. You may be a Christian business person and, uh, and there's a, a competitor out there. You know, in part, I think that uh, for Christians and and in a capitalist system, we need competitors. We need people to keep us honest. We we don't we don't want to become fat and lazy and uh, and just presume that people will just always use our services. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little competition never hurts, um, and so you can certainly encourage others. At the same time, you can be saying, "But hey, we've got to be pr- providing a quality service. We've got to be treating our customers well," and um, and so. I'll tell you what, uh, it will blow people away if a new uh, arrival company shows up in your area and you send over a gift basket (laughs) and say, hey, welcome, welcome to this area. Wish you God's best. Uh, We we are serving uh, our customers 
to the glory of God, and we're glad to, to, to welcome you on board, wishing you all of God's very best. I'll tell you what, they'll think that you've poisoned all the fruit and candy in that basket or something, because it just won't seem natural for a competitor to be welcoming and blessing uh, a rival. But if you, if you know that your business is in God's hands, your success is dependent upon him, then uh, you, know, you, can, you, can, you can freely bless others yeah. and just trust that whatever uh, happens, God will guide you. God will watch over you. But, but I'll tell you what, you, you don't bring God glory by being selfish and stingy. Uh, you, bring, you, you blow people away uh, as a Christian when you bless others, and especially when those very people may be coming after some of your customers and clients. Uh, but to say, you know what, they're God's clients, they're God's customers that he's entrusted to us. We'll try to be faithful to everyone God sends us, but if God wants to send some of those to a rival, then we just want them to be well served as well. Because we care about our clients. We want what's best for them. And uh, I'll tell you what, if you can have that big of a heart, I think God will honor that and God will receive glory because you did. Yeah, well, I think like so much of the Christian life, this this book sort of underlines the fact that uh, so much of uh, what we need to do is against our nature. Yeah. And uh, it takes sort of that constant vigilance to to keep your, your own nature in check and make sure you're not just, you know, reverting to territorialism or or, uh, you know, rivals when, in fact, we are all on, on the same team, especially in, in ministry. Yeah, especially if it's a Christian that's your, that's leading that company. You're a Christian and they're a Christian. Yeah. Then certainly in that case, uh, it's a shame if you see them as an enemy instead of a brother or a sister. Yeah. Well, we hope you'll pick up a copy of Rooting for Rivals, and uh, we'll be sure to leave links to that in the show notes as always. And until next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.